0: We are continuing in the Gospel of John this morning. If you remember, we kind of started what's going to end up being kind of a three-part series of Jesus using the language of sheep and shepherd, and um, today uses a different kind of metaphor within that sort of language, but uh, he talks about pasture and things like that. So we started last week, we're going to hit the second part today, and then we'll finish it up next week, and then we'll have um, a week in between where the plan is for Donnie to share something uh, while I'm on vacation. So we'll see if Donnie gets his, uh, Donnie's got some vision stuff going on, so you can also be praying for him. We didn't add him on the list because Donnie gets mad when I add him to the list, but um, we can still be praying for him. So uh, let's go ahead and pray as we jump into God's Word. Father, help us to remember as we come to your word that in our own human minds with sinful hearts, we could never understand this on our own. We need to be completely dependent upon you and your spirit to give us understanding, to work on our hearts. As we hear your word, as we consider it, as we ponder on it, as we meditate on it, now and as we go from this place. So we ask that your spirit would be present, that he would work in us, that he would change us as we study your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I grew up in a rural town. I learned to drive mostly on country roads, not all that different than this kind of area. In fact, our town didn't even have a post office. Um, We literally had a pizza shop, the school, and an ice cream shop and the water department, like all four corners, and that was basically it. Um, so I grew up driving mostly on country roads, and even, even as you get closer to more kind of condensed towns in our area, the main roads eventually turn into country roads, so it was still very familiar to drive, you know, in some of those nearby cities, So I was in for a rude awakening when I started to drive in Chicago when I moved there, or eventually when we moved to Louisville and had to drive there. Something that I had rarely dealt with in my life was one-way streets. I quickly began to despise one-way streets. Right, If you're going somewhere new and you miss the road... Now you can't turn on the next one, right, because it's going the other direction. You've got to wait two blocks down. Then you've got to turn. Oh, wait. Then, because of the one-way streets, now you've got to go three blocks past the road again that you just did, just to come back to the main road and turn back just to do it. It's a, it's a pain right? to go all around that way just because you missed your turn the first time. Seems silly, right, to just have one way to get there. So while that driving situation was utterly annoying to me living in cities, it serves as a reminder for us that Jesus says there is a single way for salvation. Our passage this morning is probably not an unfamiliar one, at least the concept's not. Jesus claims to be the only way to true life. So while it may not be unfamiliar, it is a weighty thing. For Jesus to claim that there is a one-way street for eternal life, and he is that one-way street, is not a friendly claim to make. It might be a loving thing to let let people know about that, but it certainly doesn't feel friendly to these people, nor to many people in our world. But what we see here this morning is Jesus does declare. He is the only way for sheep to have salvation, to find pasture, and to have abundant life. So let's jump into our passage this morning. John chapter 10. Just a few verses. We're going to start in verse 7. If you remember last week, they were all confused by Jesus' metaphor about being the shepherd and the sheep and things like that. So Jesus goes on to give Uh, more details to it. So verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Before diving into the details of these verses, it's essential for us to try to realize what Jesus means by salvation here. Right? Jesus says, I am the door, whoever comes right, through me, enters by me, will be saved. What does Jesus mean by being saved here? We have to understand that before we really look at the details of what that entails. So, let, so what I want us to really camp out on for a moment is this first point. Jesus saves you not only from a future hell, but from your sinful heart. You see, because we can be tempted to view salvation as a transactional thing, right? That it's something that took place one time in the past and it has future eternal consequences for me, but it really doesn't mean a whole lot for right now as I'm just waiting for those future consequences, right? But in viewing it as transactional, what we end up doing is we end up neglecting the present reality of our salvation, Let me give you an example here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this verse is probably very well known to most of you, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's very transactional language. Right? You have Jesus, who has no sin, becoming sin so that those of us who have sin can become righteousness. Right? It's this transaction that takes place. He takes our sin, we get righteousness. Salvation certainly does have a transactional element to it. Right? Jesus does take our place on the cross, but if we view it only as a transaction, We then begin to detach ourselves from what that means for us in the present. For example, I'm going to assume most of you have probably had to purchase, make a transaction for gas in your vehicle in the last two weeks. Now until I brought that up just now, how many of you were thinking about that transaction this morning? How many people were thinking about that, some transaction you've made in the last month, sitting here thinking about that? Probably nobody until I brought it up, right? I hope nobody's thinking about putting gas in your car instead of what we're talking about this morning, but the point is clear, though, right? If we view it as only a transactional thing that happened in the past, that yes, it has future consequences, it really doesn't mean much for right now, though. Has no present implications. But what I want to remind you of is while we read that verse of verse 21, if you rewind a couple verses and go to verse 17 of the same chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's present language. That's not, oh, well, you're still in the old, you're just waiting for the new to come in the future when you get those future consequences. No, it's, there is a present reality to your salvation. True salvation is not just transactional, it's also transformational. You aren't just saved from hell in the future, but you are presently saved from your sinful I think sometimes we can view, now you may have heard this metaphor or illustration before, we view salvation as an insurance policy. We think that I signed the papers when I was converted, right? I agreed to the covenant, to the transaction back when I was saved, right? In the present, what do you do with an insurance policy? In the present, all I do is I go to church, I pay my monthly premium. And there's a promise that later on when I die, Jesus is going to provide the insurance to get me out of hell. So that means your present reality, all you're obligated to is pay your premium. Other than that, you can be as detached from it as you want to be. Here's the problem. Viewing your salvation in that way never addresses what sent you to hell in the first place, which is your own heart. It never addresses our own sinful hearts And the change that needs to happen, we have to grasp this. Because it's actually the picture Jesus has been painting throughout the entire Gospel of John. Just consider some of the terminology Jesus has used already. In chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. In chapter 4, he tells the woman at the well that... Drinking this living water is going to be like a a, a well, a spring welling up inside of you. In chapter 6, he says those who come to him will never hunger or thirst again. In chapter 7, he says that it's going to be like rivers of living water flowing in your heart. It's essential for us to grasp this, that when Jesus says, whoever enters by me will be saved, he's not just talking about a future salvation. He's talking about a present reality. So our salvation, we must view it as transactional and transformational. We have to understand that in order to get the details of this passage right. So now that we know the heart component, the present reality component of our salvation, let's get into the details here of chapter 10. It's pretty clear here, right? Jesus calls himself the door. That he's the only means, he's the only one we can enter into for his sheep, right, to be saved, to find pasture. But that leaves a question. What about before those enter the door. What is life like before entering into Jesus? We see that those who enter through the door have salvation, have pasture, and have abundant life. So what exists before you enter that door? That's the, the next point here. Apart from Jesus, your heart walks in sin, wasteland, and a life of lacking. We find the opposites of what Jesus gives when you enter through him. The opposites are true before you enter through him. Those who don't enter through Jesus as the door find themselves walking in sin instead of salvation. Find themselves walking in wasteland rather than pasture. Find themselves in a life of lacking rather than a life of abundance. While these words, sin, wasteland, lacking, may not be explicitly used in these verses, I think the tone of this is described. Particularly as we look at the people that Jesus talks about trying to lead the sheep that aren't the door. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Now Jesus, our first thought here, right, All who came before Jesus, our minds instinctively go to Old Testament. Is Jesus saying that Moses was a thief and robber? Is he saying the prophets are thieves? We have to understand, from the end of the Old Testament before Jesus comes onto the scene, there's a gap of 400 years. Within those 400 years, you have people rising up, claiming to be the Messiah, trying to start revolutions, warlike things in order to have their country back, have their nation back. You also have this religious system start to rise up, where now we see the results of it with the Pharisees. Right? We've seen that all throughout the Gospel of John. It's all over in the Gospels. So Jesus' point here is not Moses and the prophets, right? He's already said that Moses and the Old Testament are witnesses to him. They were saying that there is a Messiah that is the door, in a sense, of salvation. So now Jesus, we see him referring to people who weren't saying that, people who think that they can live apart from Jesus. And they're described to be thieves and robbers. And look at what their goal is in verse 10. The thief comes only to to steal and kill and destroy. That sounds quite the opposite of salvation, pasture, and abundant life. But a life of being stolen being killed, being destroyed. So here's the reality. If salvation is heart-related, which it is, we already established that, then apart from Jesus, hearts will only find emptiness. Hearts will be sinful. Hearts will, be, will lack the true satisfaction if they're trying to live off of a wasteland. Hearts will have a life that feels like it's lacking what they truly need. Back when I was a youth pastor, when we would have a, an event for the youth group, the fun part was always trying to figure out what food to have. Because you would ask the youth group ahead of time and say, what do you want? And you'd have probably half of them say, oh, "I want, I'll make sure you bring fruit and vegetables because I want some of those. But then the event comes, Right? And all of a sudden, now the fruit and vegetables are rotting over on the one counter, and all that they're eating is the cookies and the candy and the pop and the pizza. Now for them, they think it's wonderful, right? This is everything they could ever imagine for a meal. Yet some realize, either that night or the next day, that they made a terrible mistake. Even realizing that, though, some of them might change their diet in the next couple years. Some of them might try to live for the next 10 to 20 years trying to eat that way. They probably won't get away with it for that long, but the point is, eventually as you get older, you realize you can't live off of food that has no nutritional value to it. Our hearts can act the same way. You can go to people right now who are living apart from Jesus, and they think their lives are wonderful, right? I can date whoever I want. I can chase as much money as I want. I can hold grudges against whoever I want to if I feel like it. But those who come to Jesus as the door realize that before Jesus, they were living in a wasteland. That no matter what they did, they always were lacking. They they always wanted more of something they either already had, or they always wanted something new that they hadn't had yet. In fact, I think you could just look at some of the scenarios in our world and see the proof of this, right? Consider the increase of the divorce rate in the last 50, 100 years. Or consider the increase in the number of people who are jumping from person to person living with them instead of getting married and committing to someone. Or consider the, the rise in the number of addictions in our world. And do you see a pattern there? It's never enough. There's always wanting something more. Okay, I'm done with this marriage. I need this marriage. Or I'm not even going to be married. I just want to be able to go to the next relationship if I feel like it. Or in an addiction, I just need more and more and more of something. Hearts living in a wasteland. Living with a sinful heart that's always lacking what it really needs. Because what we see Jesus teach here is what... These hearts, our hearts, really need is Him. When Jesus says He is the door, it means your next point here. Jesus is the only way for your heart to be changed. He says it in verse 7 Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then again in verse 9. I am the door. And since we've realized salvation doesn't just have future implications, but it involves a present heart transformation, it's only those who become aware of their sin, aware of their wasteland, aware of their life of lacking, that end up coming to Jesus as the door. Jesus uses other language throughout the Gospel of John to describe this. Right? He says, he calls it being thirsty. He calls it being hungry. Those who realize their hearts are empty, those who realize they're living in a spiritual wasteland in this world, will be the ones to come to Jesus to find true heart satisfaction. But it's not that Jesus just satisfies your sinful heart, it's that Jesus gives you a heart transplant, right? We talked about a transaction that takes place. That's why it must be through Jesus. He is the only one through whom we can have our old selves pass away and a new creation come. All the answers are through Jesus. If you struggle with speaking harshly to your family, it's through Jesus that you learn how to be truly gentle, If you hold on to bitterness and grudges, it's only through Jesus that you learn to truly forgive others as you see how he has forgiven you. If you find yourself depressed or feeling empty in life, it's only through Jesus that you can have true joy and fullness as your heart was meant to have. Your old heart would have never been satisfied by Jesus. The only door to go through to have your heart satisfied Is through Jesus giving you a new heart. Church, I want us to really consider this this morning. You may be really familiar with this concept, whether it's this verse or whether it's maybe the later verse, right, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You may be familiar with Jesus saying, I am the only way to get here. But stop for a moment with your familiarity with all of this and just ask yourself the question... Do you believe this to be true? Not, do do you know that the Bible says it? Do you actually believe that this is true? That your heart will always, always pursue sin, will always find itself in a wasteland, and will always find itself lacking in life unless you come through Jesus as the door? Him alone. Nobody else, nowhere else, no other options. Jesus alone is the answer. Do you really believe that? Because we live in a world that hates this concept. Right? We we have a world where there may be a lot of people that claim to love Jesus, right? But all they do is take things out of context and say, Well, Jesus says to love everybody and to not judge, and that's, that's what I follow. But Jesus isn't a buffet. Jesus isn't where, okay, I'm going to take his non-judging and his loving, and I'm going to go down and sit and eat it, but I'm I'm not going to agree with where Jesus says he's the only way to have true life. I don't really believe that. Jesus says here he is the door. There's a single door, and he's it. Think of it this way. Many of us are probably thankful that there are bridges that get us from Indiana to Kentucky, right? Now, many people in our world see Jesus' statement here as if we were to make the statement and say, there's only one bridge to get from Indiana to Kentucky, and it's the one just down the road here. That's the only bridge to get there. And a lot of people would say, you're only saying that because that's the one that's closest to you right? People in Cincinnati or Louisville would have a different answer to that. They would say there's other bridges, and they would say their bridge is the only way to get over. They would say the same thing about religions, right? Well, you only believe that because you grew up in a context where that was popular, or you were raised by a family that believed that. If you found yourself in another part of the world, you would believe a different religion, and you wouldn't find that to be true, about this certain religion or this certain bridge. But if we rewind history for a moment, I want you to consider what would be the reaction of people if you said that there was one bridge when there only was one bridge. When the first bridge was built over the river and you told people, there's a bridge to get over the water, would people say, that's stupid? That's silly for you to think that. There's got to be another bridge somewhere. No, people would be excited about this, right? People would be, can you imagine, for the first time ever, you can actually go over the water instead of through the water? Nobody would be saying, you got your head in the sand, right? That's true of Christianity. Jesus is the only bridge. At the cross, Jesus makes a bridge. You see, because um, there was a division, a separation between us and God, it was going to exist forever because of our sin, but by the cross, a bridge is made. Jesus takes our sin so we can have his righteousness, right, transaction, but it's not just so that one day you can have God, it's so that right here today, right now you can have God, that you can have God every day when you wake up, that your heart can have true peace and true satisfaction every single day. Your heart can be transformed into someone that loves God and is reconciled to God when at one point you were hostile to God according to the words of Scripture. Jesus alone is the bridge, the only door through which your heart can find true satisfaction Your heart is replaced, transaction, but then there's this ongoing reality of your heart being transformed to find more and more of your pleasure and satisfaction in life through Jesus. In fact, I would say this is what makes Christianity the different bridge from any other claim to be a bridge. We have a Savior who takes our place and a Savior who presently changes us. A Savior who changes the life that we are currently living. And that life is our final point here. What does that life look like? Only through Jesus, your heart will walk in salvation, in pasture, and a life of abundance. Jesus is the only way to have your heart changed which if you look back in the Old Testament, that's what Ezekiel said needed to happen, right? He said, I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So if that's the salvation that we see here in verse 9, right? if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, if that salvation is a heart replacement, then there must be heart implications when Jesus talks next about pasture. That's what he says next in the verse. Whoever enters by him will be saved. Also, will go in and out and find pasture. Now for us who live in a farming community around us, and for those of us who are any sort of familiar with Psalm 23, this certainly should bring up some imagery, shouldn't it? In fact, let's read a little bit. Psalm 23 it uses similar language here. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And what else? Verse 3. He restores my soul. You see, there we have it again. Even in the Old Testament, we have it. An internal transformation that's going on here. So we have the internal part, so I want us to reflect here on your feelings when you hear these verses. What images come to mind? What sort of emotions stir in your heart when you hear it said, he makes me lie down in green pastures? You only lie down when you feel safe, right? And then he says there's green pastures, right? It's not a wasteland, it's green pastures, which makes us think that it's a fruitful area, that there's plenty to eat there. Or still waters, this feeling of refreshment and comfort coming over us. That's what our hearts find when we enter through Jesus as the door. Before Jesus, we may have sought safety in having a big bank account, and having a nice house or a nice car, but now Jesus gives us our safety and our comfort. While we still live in a world that's full of harmful things, that world doesn't have the influence over our hearts that it once did. Now our hearts find peace in Jesus. The food that we once tried to satisfy our hearts with, whether it was relationships or some particular achievements or approval from some type of person, those attempts at food of satisfying our hearts now look like cotton candy that dissolve like that in comparison to what Jesus offers. But then also look in John, back in John 10, look at verse 10. Pastures, but now we also see I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's not that this pasture just offers you barely enough food to get by and then you have an abundance later on when you get to heaven. There's this overflowing element. There's this abundance of what Jesus offers us when we enter through him. In fact, remember back in Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's the present state of your heart if you enter through Jesus as the door. It's not an abundance later on. It's not that you have to now deal with the lacking in life that you once had. It's now there's an abundance available to you. A life of abundance for your heart available to you today. Every day. An abundance of joy an abundance of satisfaction, an abundance of peace, an abundance of hope, and an abundance of pleasure, an abundance of life for your heart. That's why Jesus came. Did you catch that in verse 10 there? I came, then we have a purpose. He came so that we would have life and have it abundantly. Your heart can have an overwhelming never-ending, always-satisfying abundance of everything that it could ever need. And it's all found in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, all that your heart could ever long for is found only in Jesus. You either believe the words of Jesus this morning, or you think he was lying. Or you think he was wrong in some sense. Right? Jesus calls himself the door to this life. Right? The door to our, hat, our hearts having pasture, our hearts having salvation, our hearts having abundant life. And we have to make a decision. When you walk out of here today, and every morning when you wake up, you have a decision to make. You're either going to seek after pleasure and joy apart from Jesus or you're going to find pleasure and joy in Jesus? Which one's it going to be? I believe that there's some listening this morning who likely have treated Jesus as a one-time transaction. You think you can make a deal with him, shake hands, pay the premium once a month by showing up to church, and then you're safe for all eternity. And I'm telling you, This morning, that if that's your mindset about who Jesus is, you've missed the gospel. You've missed it. If you think that salvation for you is you made an agreement one time, you just have to keep up on your tab every so often, and then one day you're promised a future of eternity, you're going to hate that eternity. You don't want that eternity if that's all you think life is for you in the present as a saved person. When Jesus describes pasture and abundant life in this passage, he doesn't just mean a future reality. He means your heart right now, this morning. He means your heart the rest of today. He means your heart every day can turn away from following sin. Your heart can turn away from the wastelands. Your heart can turn away from a life that is lacking And your heart can find true satisfaction in Jesus as the door. So the question is, will you enter that pasture? Will you enter that life of abundance today and for the rest of your life? It's only, only, only through Jesus that you can enter that. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that if anyone's listening that has never found their heart's satisfaction, their heart's joy by entering through Jesus, by your spirit you would draw them to Jesus this morning that you would help them to recognize their heart in a wasteland apart from him and I pray for those who have experienced this that it would be an ongoing transformation for us that every morning we wake up and find more pleasure and more joy, more satisfaction in Jesus than we did the day before. Help us to not miss that there is a present reality to following Jesus. A present reality to entering by the door. We are thankful for the future it means for us. But I ask that you help us to remember that that future is just going to be an abundance of the abundance you offer us now. So help us to find joy and satisfaction in it now, so all the more when that future day comes, we'll enjoy it all the more. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen as they come up to sing our final song i could